She's a former public school teacher turned stay-at-home mom who watched her kids and community decline during COVID school closures. She knew she had to speak up. No, no, no. We are the parents. You are not. You are assisting us in the education of our kids, but we are the parents. He's a talk show host who's made a career covering politics from afar until the toxic politics of his kids' schools became too great to ignore at home. Who gets to say? Who says? What is a proper education for a child? Who gets to say that? Now, Christine Stegall and her husband Chris have chosen a new path forward for their child in Christian education. Join them as they explore and experience this important alternative in education for the first time. Welcome to Making the Leap. Welcome back into another episode of Making the Leap. We are at episode number 10 for today, which I feel like is sort of anniversary style. I feel like we Clipping need balloons. right along, 10. I don't know. Did we get cookies? I kind of want cookies and <laughs> balloons. Any excuse for a good cookie. I have friends that make them, so we can we can start. Maybe we'll do maybe, that for 20. Maybe a sponsorship. <laughs> maybe a potential oh, sponsorship. <laughs> I'm not sure this is up her alley, but I can definitely <laughs> I can definitely check. I'm so glad that everyone is tuning in, sending emails, leaving reviews. We're just having a really great time reading we things are. that are coming in from people. This is such a big news day on this particular podcast. Yes. So we're going to get into it in a little bit. I know you get some email, but I, this is a huge, huge, for those of you that are uh, unfamiliar, although I can't imagine anybody that's uh, <laughs> in this arena that cares about this subject doesn't know the Supreme Court ruling that came down this week. We're going to get into that in just a minute, but... And it is exciting, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it, learning more about it, and seeing what the effects are going to be across across the country as we talk about it. And kind of along with that, just getting an email last week that I wanted to read from Heather. She said, hello, Chris and Christine. I hope you and your family are well. I just wanted to say thank you so much for making the leap, for making the Making the Leap podcast. My husband and I have been debating and hemming and hawing for a few years now about pulling our youngest son out of the public school system and enrolling him in a Christian school. And we have finally decided to make the leap. We chose a small Baptist academy that is very word of mouth and came highly recommended by our pastor. (laughs) <laughs> we're located in new jersey which i'm sure you aware is oh the california of the east coast yes <laughs> we both attended public school i did my entire life and my husband attended catholic school and public for high school we both have older children who all came up through the public school system here in new jersey there has been such a huge and obviously glaring shift in the curriculum values and goals of public education that it is borderline insane we knew it was time to get out when the sex education information came out a few months ago uh-oh Thank you again. You are really helping us gain the knowledge required to make such a huge decision. It feels good to know there are so many others willing to stand against the norm and fight for God and our children and country. How cool. That's not awesome. That's from Heather. That's from Heather out of New Jersey. (laughs) Heather, thank you for the nice email. I think that is the thing that uh, has impressed me the most since we started doing this. The number of people that are approaching us uh, when we're out that know us and know what we're doing uh, who are doing this too or have been doing it and then the notes or the social media posts that we get from people that have always done it uh, in fact i i was talking about this on the radio show this week i was really kind of pummeling this and my kind of working thesis that i've shared here that public schools are imploding and i still believe that and i think the supreme court ruling we're about to get into really accelerates it frankly but 
I, I was really hammering this on the radio show in Philadelphia, and I texted a friend of mine, and I said, am I starting to sound like a zealot? <laughs> because I've gone right. from never having, having talked about private school to now feeling like I want to tell every parent, do it while you can, save your kids, save yourself, get out of the thing. Uh, it took us forever. I, I readily stipulate that two of our boys are still in public school, so I don't want to make it sound like we've... Right purged the whole family of it but um we've been clear that to do it all over again we wouldn't have done it the way we did it well and when i was debating homeschool probably i was probably really debating it about three years ago and then again two years ago when covid started hitting and i would read and read and have all this information and talk to people and then i was sharing it with people that i'm not homeschooling but i was like you need to look at this you need to look at this information because i just knew at that point there are so many people that are looking for something new. So I don't think you're a zealot. I think when you're when you're living something and when you're passionate about it, you just want to share it as an option because yep. I think that's what this is about is just having options and having encouraging parents to figure out where their priorities are at. What are they about? What are their families about? What do they want for their kids? And it doesn't make you a zealot, but I do know what you're saying. It just, it's what we're living. It's what we're doing. And yeah. so it's, so now I feel like I want to encourage everybody to do it. <laughs> and as I was saying, you know, like money can't be the thing. Like it, money just can't be the thing. And I know money is the thing. That's the easiest thing to say. It's too expensive. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, there are options. And I think that actually this development, yes. which let's just get into it. Um, reading this from the uh, Los Angeles times, this came down today. We're going to talk with uh, a guy called Walter Blanks, by the way, on this show today. He's the press secretary for a group called American Federation for Children. And Walter is a unique story because uh, this kind of thing, this ruling from the Supreme Court this week, is exactly what impacts a family like Walter's. When he was a young boy, he went through a lot of uh, public education misfires, and it really was not working out for him. And he ended up making his way to Christian education, courtesy of his family, and it changed, it transformed his life. So uh, he's yet another, and, and he happens to be a black man. And, and the only reason that's uh, particularly relevant to the conversation is he, we get very specifically into the, the point that schools like Philadelphia, which are a majority minority school district, are full of people who feel or are trapped Right. In a system they right. don't know how to get out of. I think this ruling goes a long way to fix that. We'll get into that with Walter coming up. But here it is. Uh, Supreme Court rules for parents seeking state aid for religious schools. Hubba hubba. <laughs> the Supreme Court on Tuesday of this week extended its support for religious schools, ruling that parents who send their children to such institutions have a right to tuition aid if the state provides it to other similar private schools. It it was a 6-3 decision. It was specific to the state of Maine, but it will have implications for every state where aid is currently sent by the state to help kids with charter schools or other schools. So I know when you read this, and I understand why you felt this way. Christine said immediately, well, what kind of control does that ultimately mean? Does that mean a state who gives aid, has a say in the way a school is run. Legitimate question. I mean, I have a story in front of me, for instance, from um, uh, the Department of Agriculture. Their Food and Nutrition Service earlier in the month announced that the National School Lunch Program for low-income students would not be provided to schools that do not adopt the Biden administration's interpretation of Title IX, holding a provision against sexual discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and they've specifically gone to war with, again, Florida. 
It's I know it's amazing when you start looking at what is tied to what I I, I don't want to call it a handout, but whatever is tied to whatever can Aid. come into the system, yeah. right? That's a big deal. And it's just, it's something to, I think, just keep eyes wide open on because while I know this ruling, I think right now is really only applying to Maine, it's definitely opening up the door to places across. Well, it, it basically says that any school that receives state aid, or I should say any student that receives state aid that goes to a private institution of some kind or a charter school, uh, heretofore, the Supreme Court had limited that to strictly secular schooling this this supreme court as constituted now uh with a majority of republican appointed justices and and i I think more traditional if you want to call it conservative or whatever uh they read the constitution differently differently they say this is not an establishment of religion and this is not the state establishing religion this is actually the state being ordered to equally fund both secular and religious schooling not pick one not endorse one but actually previously what the supreme court said is you're endorsing and favoring one particular kind of education to the Mm -hmm. exclusion of the other and that's actually bigotry is this current supreme court's point right and when i was reading in a different article this one was out of usa today on the same on the same topic this woman, Leslie Heiner, she is the vice president of legal affairs at EdChoice. She said, this ruling affirms that parents should be able to choose a school that is compatible with their values or that honor and respect their values. By shutting out parents with certain values, that is discrimination run rampant. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, of course, the NEA hates this. <laughs> the NEA is furious about this. Yes. Now, there's a story this week also in the uh, Wall Street Journal about teachers leaving in droves. Some 300,000 public school uh, teachers and other staff have left the field between February 2020 and May 2022, a nearly 3% drop in that workforce, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. And, you know, they cite all kinds of reasons. Worn down, COVID, politics, blah, 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 masking. Okay, fine, all legit, whatever. The point is... And we've been covering this here on the show. Teachers are leaving. The Supreme Court rules the way they did. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's this perfect storm. I don't mean right. to belabor this. I'm not, you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm I think I'm Paul Revere. I think it's kind of obvious <laughs> if you're paying any attention. This system is imploding, and the NEA is panicked about it, rightly so, right? They don't like this ruling at all because what it's gonna do is further the ability for students and parents and families to start taking aid money and going to private Christian schools, for instance, like our daughter is in, uh, and if we qualified for state aid, we could take that aid and take it to our Christian school where our daughter's enrolled, and you see a lot of private school, uh, public school teachers that are now going private. Absolutely. Yeah, her statement, so she, Becky Pringle, who's the president of the NEA, said the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the Constitution, not invent doctrines to promote radical education policy outcomes. And I took such huge issue with that radical. Radical. I know she's talking radical education policy, but what she's in essence is saying is that Christian education or private education is promoting these radical ideologies. And that I just I personally find that incredibly offensive i don't think i'm running around raising my little (laughs) my little radical kids to you know i I don't know i just that part is is the thing that gets to me is labeling a biblical christian belief as radical when in essence it's complete irony and it's the total opposite because what is completely radical is this thought of 
critical race theory of teaching you know, having to fight to say that we cannot, we don't need to be teaching our second graders about sex in school. That's the radical concept. And so when we get this kind of statement, I do think it's a big deal. I think it's awesome. I hope it doesn't just apply to Maine. And I bet the door starts opening left and right. Yeah, it definitely won't. I mean, it now it has it has application for uh, among the six justices. Now, the Los Angeles Times hates this ruling, too, to be clear. Among the six conservative justices. That's how that's a pejorative. If you're a conservative justice, ooh, ooh, six conservative justices on the Supreme Court. All of them attended Catholic school. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> says yeah. uh, the except Los Angeles Times, except for one, and that's Alito, who went to public elementary and secondary schools in New Jersey. The conservative justices in recent years have cast aside the principle of church and state separation. Cast it aside. No, they no, haven't. They didn't. Right. There is no. Uh, this is not an endorsement of religion. This is not a. Gov- this ruling does not favor. And hear me on this. This ruling does not endorse or favor any religion. It says state aid can also apply to religious institutions for their educations. Not we only want money going to Christian or Catholic organizations or not public educations. If you're going to put your kid in any kind of education outside of public education and you receive aid, it should be able to go to any educational facility it's the opposite of endorsing anyone in fact it is opening the door to all that's the ruling agree right that's the point so anyway but you're right to point out um at least from a federal point of view i mean this is what desantis said you know to joe biden he said give me a break this is totally off uh, their rockers to be doing this we're fighting on that don't worry um, we're prepared to be able to defend the taxpayers and the hardworking people of Florida, and I couldn't be prouder of doing that. In Florida, we're fighting against Biden's intentionally destructive policies like denying school lunches for states that refuse to implement woke gender ideology in the schools. So, again, this Supreme Court ruling relates to state funding, not federal funding. That's right. a different matter. Uh, so Biden and his Title IX stuff, for instance, and the fight that he's having with DeSantis, not applicable in this particular fight, but... You know, individual states now that could get interesting, like uh, uh, depending on the politics of any given state. Now, the entire country is under the Supreme Court ruling that says any state aid now must apply to religious institutions who could a governor or a legislature move in and, and try to monkey around with that possible. It's something to keep a watch on. But for now, it's a really positive development, I think. And I think when you talk to parents, when they're asking, what do I do? How do I get involved? What do I pay attention to? I do think this is another um, a focus, something to focus on, because this was just during COVID, the same thing. There was funding that was given, but it was tied to certain requirements and certain um, expectations. And I think parents weren't aware. And then as school boards started voting on certain issues throughout the, you know, throughout that time during the pandemic, parents were, I think, taken aback and surprised by that. And so I just, I, I, as with anything, I would caution every parent, public or private, wherever, pay attention to where money is going and where money is coming in and what is tied to that, because it is, it does have significance down the road. On this major uh, news week, uh, a huge story coming out of the Supreme Court. We're anticipating a lot of different Supreme Court rulings. But this is critical, and I don't know that a lot of media is going to cover it. Walter Blanks, who's the press secretary for the American Federation for Children. Uh, but this is a substantial story. I know everybody's going to talk about abortion and Roe versus Wade. But my gosh, I mean, what this does... <laughs> 
to the uh, public education model as we know it. I, I, I've maintained for a while, I'm not bullish on public education, Walter. I don't know what the uh, American Federation for Children's thoughts are on this ruling, but I welcome you in. Yeah, well, well, thank you so much for having me. And, and like you said, the Carson Supreme Court case was a huge win for parents and families across the country uh, and precedent, really, to have just access and opportunity to educational options that work best for them. And, and some people, like myself included, um, education where there is a strong Christian core uh, Christian values is, is important to people. And so the the Supreme Court case here, I'm actually in D.C. right now, but it's, it's for um, something in Maine, just allows uh, religious schools to have access to to those funds so that families can can really vote with their feet and, and use school choice in a way that allows them to be in the best environment that works for them. I, I love your story, your personal story, Walter, and I would love for you to share it with the audience uh, that you yourself are the beneficiary of a parent who decided the the current education system wasn't best for you and uh, sought out a different route. Yeah, correct. Both both my parents. I was in a different public school almost every year. My family tried everything and it just it just didn't work. And so because of the uh, Ed Choice Scholarship Program in Ohio, I was able to be put in a small private Christian school from sixth grade all the way through twelfth grade. And Statistically speaking, right, I wasn't expected to, to graduate high school or to graduate college, and I was expected to have a ton of problems, whether it was with the law or just overall educationally. Um, but because of school choice and, and my parents' involvement and their dedication to see me succeed, um, I was able to shine, shine really bright. And now I get to travel the country. I've been to the White House multiple times fighting for the next generation of students so they can have that same opportunity that I was afforded. Walter, when you say, if you don't mind my asking, what do you mean by you didn't really stand much of a chance and your parents kept trying different things and it wasn't working out? Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, well, I grew up in the inner city of, of Columbus, Ohio, and I was surrounded by poverty, crime, and, and low expectations. And being a, a young black male, uh, there were a lot of other issues that, that I was dealing with. And so I was I was bullied a lot in, in the public school system. There was one time in particular that I often talk about where um, a couple of a couple of kids ganged up on me and I was in I ended up in the principal's office with a ripped shirt and, and a bloody nose. And the principal told my mom, if you just wait five years, we'll have the middle school turned around and then the high school, which I would have been uh, zoned to, will have to turned around. And my mom said, in five years, Walter will either be in jail or in a body bag, and wow. we don't have time for that. And and that's just, that's the power of school choice, right? It gives opportunity, and it, it really breathes life into me. And everything that I'm doing now is, is a, re- a direct result of the education that I received. I think that is so wonderful to hear. And I, as a teacher, as a former teacher, I the question I have for you, just based on what you said, when you talk about low expectations, in, were you, are you referring to the low expectations that possibly teachers had for you, or was it just community low expectations? Where Where is that statement coming from? Because yeah. I, I do think that's a criticism often of school systems across the country. Yeah, it, it was a little bit of everything, but particularly for um, from teachers. I mean, I had teachers tell me I wouldn't I wouldn't amount to anything. And um, if I didn't, you know, act right or, or get together, get myself together, I didn't up on the streets, like just just things that a child should never, ever have to have to hear. And so some of the teachers were giving me easier work 
um, which caused a lot of problems uh, at my house because my mom was, my parents were not a fan of that. They understood that I needed to be pushed and needed to be in an environment where the teachers truly wanted to see me succeed. And and now, you know, I get to travel and, and, and visit mm-hmm. schools and see where that expectation has been lifted. And, and I always say, if you set the bar high, the students will meet those expectations. And they'll often They'll often surpass them. But if you go into the school year with like, okay, well, these inner city kids, you know, can't learn or they can't read, then then those students have already lost, you know, at the beginning of the school year. So can you then tell us, Walter, what the difference was? That was your experience in public education when you finally entered the Christian school realm. How would you say that compared? Contrast that. Yeah. How were you treated? Yeah, well, the... Yeah, well, the biggest the biggest thing was I was surrounded by people who truly wanted to see me succeed at, at any cost. Uh, my school was small, so it was a really big family aspect. Whenever I was dealing with stuff at home or, or coming to school with a lot of issues, the teachers were able to recognize that. And they would pull me to the side and say, hey, like, what's going on? How can we pray for you? Is there anything that we can do? And I, I always talk about my uh, science teacher in high school, Mr. Spears, taught chemistry. And I was awful at chemistry (laughs) and um and i was close to i was close to failing and getting kicked off the basketball team and i had to pass my chemistry test and he would sit with me during basketball practice when the 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 b team was was practicing and we were running you know formulas and 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 just and everything and Mm. and for me it was you know this this teacher is taking time away from his family time away from home to make sure that i succeed I wanted to do everything to to make sure that that happened. And so when I passed the test, he came onto the court and was like, well done, like you're going to play tonight. Uh, but just having those people there in my life that that supported me and 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 really held me to a high expectation. And, and when I fell below those, they held me accountable. Walter, do you think, this is a tricky question, and I don't presume that you speak for all of black America, but do you think this ruling from the Supreme Court opens a door that perhaps some black Americans trapped in failing schools, now they might feel this could be a window out. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not just, not just for black America. Any parent who doesn't like where their kid is has an opportunity now. Sure. And, and, and that's incredible. But specifically in the black community, um, with very low proficient, you know, proficient in, in reading and math, those numbers are very, very low. And so, yeah, any parent who says, you know, my, my, my child is two or three grades behind in, in reading while being in the public education system right now has an opportunity to not only raise that child and teach that child and for them to have a better education, but also um, values, strong values, strong morals, um, how to be a, a decent human being. Right. And, and that was one thing that was important. I would say even more important than the academics for my parents was, you know, who is Walter going to be after he leaves his school? And the school that I went to made sure they did everything to make sure that I'd come out as a as a mighty man of God, and and by the grace of the Lord, I am. Amen. I, I I think so much about Philadelphia specifically. It's where we came from, and you know, Philadelphia is a majority minority city, and uh, it it is famous for failing its students and its families. And I keep thinking about Philadelphia specifically and a lot of the the particularly families of color in Philadelphia. This ruling may quite literally be able to spring them for the first time out of a situation where maybe even the charter schools that that were an option weren't serving them well. This is now yet another 
vessel and venue that maybe they didn't or couldn't explore before because now this will allow funding to go that direction. I, I'm very excited on their behalves. Yeah, absolutely. In, in cities like Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, Chicago, Baltimore, you know, all of all of these cities where specifically, you know, black students are being underserved. This opens the door. Like you said, it's one more vehicle, as I like to say, on the educational freedom highway. And there are multiple vehicles on that road, but but the families more more now more than ever need as many options and as much flexibility as possible. Walter Blanks, thanks for sharing your story. It's a great one. It's an inspiring one. Uh, I wish that everyone could hear it, but um, I, I was so grateful to make contact with the American Federation for Children to share this Supreme Court news this week. Um, huge, huge, I think, game-changing ruling for the country and education. Thank you, Walter, so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. What an impressive young guy. I hope he gets a, a lot of traction nationally <laughs> telling that story. Absolutely fantastic. Um, you had a very cool trip. This is the first time that you've traveled in your role as a <laughs> podcaster and a I kingdom did. education specialist. You went I wouldn't to, go that far. You went down to Florida. I did. So I went down to Florida. I was there specifically to listen. Well, it was called the Kingdom Education Summit, and it was... First of all, if I may, tell people what you're doing and why you're even doing that to begin with. The Kingdom Education? Yeah, like how did it happen? So, well, I I just wanted to, well, so I guess I'll back up for a minute. So in teaching, you know, you're always, that concept of professional development, right? You're always trying to learn. You're always trying to, um, you know, get, figure out the, the terminology, figure out the information, that kind of thing. And when it was coming to this topic of Kingdom Education, um, and more specifically, um, worldview, this was something that was newer to me. And if we're going to be sitting here talking about this on a regular basis, especially when it applies to Christian education, because like we've pointed out, not every Christian school has a biblical worldview. Not every Christian school is focused on kingdom education. I really wanted to make sure that I started to, I guess, lay the foundation for myself in terms of knowledge. So I found out that a few people from the school where our daughter goes, we're attending this conference, and it was this, the gentleman who wrote the book, Kingdom Education, not the book, he wrote a book called Kingdom Education. His name is Glenn Schultz. He works with this Kingdom Education um, Ministries. And that's who Daryl Jones yes, told us about in the yes, previous show. Right. And I have talked about that book before. It's a book that was given to us when we started at the school. That was something that they encouraged parents to read. Um, they, I guess, really, I feel like they should require parents somehow to read it because it really does lay the foundation for what what school, what our school is about or what it should be about, really. Um, but it was a new idea to me. It was a new idea and a, and a different way of thinking about things because, I mean, while I went through Catholic school for eight years and then went into public high school, you were public high school or, you know, public school throughout worldview, whether it's secular, whether it's biblical, biblical, isn't everything. And so to figure out what that meant for our daughter and also what it means as it applies to churches, because I think we were also, obviously we've talked about our church was not necessarily going down that same path of being completely biblical. And so I wanted to go to this conference. I wanted to hear from from him, from Mr. Schultz or Dr. Schultz, I probably is what he is. And he did, he went through these 14 principles of what kingdom education is and what it's about and what 
what it basically does is brings together the church, the home, and the school, and how influential and how important all three of those together are. If you picture like a stool with three legs, you know, if you take one away, it topples over. You need to have all three together. And so I wanted to go down um, and basically just kind of suck in <laughs> that knowledge. Um, and it is a process. I mean, there's no way to walk out of there as a, a you know, a new person. I kind of call myself like that baby, you know, baby learn. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no way to know it 100%, but just to hear from people who, from people from different schools, people who are leaders in their fields, people who are really working to bring ministries, you know, nationwide, just like Daryl was doing, just like he's doing with Herzog. I think that's really important. So I went down there and, you know, I, I laughed because it's the first time I've sat in a setting like that in a good long time, like a solid 15 years where you're surrounded by teachers and um, board members and your pastors and, you know, all those things together. And you're, but it's sitting there in a Christian setting, a different setting than what it was for public education. So that's where I was. And so that's you learn? Where I was taken in. <laughs> What'd you learn? I, well, I learned you and I probably have a lot of work to do in terms of yeah. filling our, our, you know, getting that background knowledge into place. Um, that was actually what I took away from was we as parents cannot just put our kids in the school and expect everything to just run smoothly. That was really what I kept hearing. I also was hearing a lot. They, they talked a lot about this organization that performed a lot of studies, the Barna studies, and they referenced them a lot in terms of numbers of parents that hold Christian viewpoints, but don't necessarily follow through in their homes with the biblical with a biblical worldview, and I was thinking a lot about it specifically in terms of science, for example. Um, you know, I kind of the old new old Earth, new Earth concept, thinking about what that means because now that we have somebody in this realm, and we have two others that I would really like to dial in a little bit more with them, make sure that they're hearing some of the things that I think you and I sort of took for granted, but maybe didn't make it part of our, our language on a, on a daily basis. I mean, I think about how many times our kids all came home from school talking about things from their science class that had to do with evolution. Well, that's very, very different from what our daughter is going to be doing now. So those are areas where that's my, that was my main takeaway, but that was where I thought, wow, I, I have a lot to do as a parent going forward. And one of the things that they talked about too, and we're not at this point, but grandparents and parents at home, those first two areas are the most influential when it comes to our kids. But then the next area behind that is teachers. And so we have a responsibility. Our kids are going to get older. Eventually, I assume we'll have a grandchild or two. And I want to be that positive influence, that biblical influence in that same way. But then when we're sending our kids, whether you're sending them to public or a Christian school, that worldview of that teacher is key to what is happening in their hearts and in their minds as it was, you know, as it comes back to what they're learning. And so it was basically talking about placing the Bible at the center of everything. And from there, you pull your education. It's not just a Bible verse into a lesson and teaching God's truth. It's about infusing the Bible throughout every curriculum piece that is in place at school, whether that's art, math, language, art, science. Um, And it was interesting because we talked, we listened to a woman who 
was from a school in Maryland, I believe, and she taught at a Christian school, but was coming into conflict with other teachers and parents and students because the curriculum she was using was this like a biblical worldview concept, this kingdom education concept, when really all around her, that was not necessarily happening. So I think, Hmm. you know, that is something that I, I think is really important as a message that once you move your child, if you choose to do that, if you choose to do something, you, you still can't sit back and think like, hands off, my job is done. I've done, you know, I've moved, I moved my child. I'm paying my tuition. I'm doing this. It's not enough. Like you have to be constantly involved. Um, and so I, I, that was very, very valuable to, I guess, to sit and to listen and to soak in and listening to these organizations that have set up ministries across the country where they're going into schools, where they're bringing educators to them, where they're um, setting up camps, where they're setting up, um, you know, all these online courses, things like that. Like there are some that we could sit down with our older sons and say, you know what, I just, we want you to hear this. We want you to be listening to this. So you're exposed in a way that maybe you wouldn't be in your school. Right. Libs of TikTok has a uh, picture of, you know, they, they expose a lot of this stuff in public schools that's going on right now. And it, it's sort of a, a theme like the banner that hangs in our daughter's school, but different. It's a, uh, and I'll show it to people that are watching on the video. This is the, uh, let's see if you, yeah, you can see that. If your parents aren't accepting of your identity, I'm your mom now. Gosh. Hashtag free mom hugs. Oh my gosh. That's taped on the door of a classroom in New Jersey. If your parents, <laughs> if your parents aren't accepting of your identity, I'm your mom now. What's the banner in our daughter's school say? <laughs> well, we get it wrong every time we say it, but whoever wants the gener- whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And I know that's not exactly how it goes. I always mess it up every time I say it. Yeah, we it. shouldn't mess it up. We should actually write it down because we've referenced it enough that we shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't mess it up and we keep screwing it up. We're going to look that up and and we're going to tape it here in our studio so we stop messing it up. But you shouldn't. know what? Either way you say it, though, that is the point. Whoever wants the next generation the most is going to get them. Whoever yeah. wants to fight for them the most That's right. is going to get them. And it's very clear uh, that right. there is a, a fight, uh, almost a supernatural fight for the children of this and that, country. that free mom hugs, I mean, you know, I love the idea. I know what it is. I've seen a lot of those moms going onto campuses and going out to different places and saying, you know, do you need a hug? Do you need a hug? I get the concept behind no. it. But... No, no, because that is saying that instead of what you grew up with, mine's better, and I'm going to be the substitute. That's What's the okay. name of the book, by the way, that you recommend people read about kingdom education? Well, so the one of them is actually called Kingdom Education, and that is by Glenn Schultz. Okay, so that is just that is the that would be one of them. Um, the other one that I have skimmed through multiple times, and I am now reading cover to cover, is called Biblical Worldview, and that is by Josh Mull. Mulvihill. I want to make sure I say that right. Mulvihill. M-U-L-V-I-H-I-L-L. He's actually written several different books, um, all having to do with parenting, Christian parenting, godly parenting. But that one, this biblical worldview one, that is one that really breaks it down in a pretty understandable way where you can digest it in small pieces. Because I do think, we've, we've talked about this multiple times, it's a lot. It's a lot to move from the public education sector into the Christian education sector and take it all in and 
I, I often say to people, like, I'm just this little baby Christian. I'm starting to learn. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time, but to really suck it in, that, that takes a lot. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's a heavy lift, and it is a lot, and it's, uh, it's something that we, as we've been very clear with you, we're learning, and, and I regret that so many years went by that we didn't engage sooner. I, I, I really do hope that uh, as we encounter, I, I never really saw myself as an older guy counseling younger people, but I, I'm now starting to see younger men with toddlers and young children, and we encounter young parents. I, I feel now compelled to stop them and go, hey, have you considered what you're doing? <laughs> right. In a way I never would have dreamt of even engaging them before. So, yeah. It's uh, a big deal. If you have any thoughts or questions or comments or whatever, we do hope you'll continue to reach out to the show. We have several ways to reach out if you'd like. So you can send an email to hello at makingtheleappodcast.com. We're on Twitter at making underscore the underscore leap. That's always a tricky one. So that's at making underscore the underscore leap. Um, Facebook, we're making the leap podcast. And Instagram is also at making the leap podcast. Yeah, we check these emails and uh, we you know check posts. We're kind of just new getting it up and going. So if you have any comments, if you have any thoughts about this show or any show, you know, leave them either on Facebook, on our Facebook page, email us, tweet at us, whatever. And uh, we, we love reading your comments here on the show. Still to come in the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to talk with uh, a woman called Bethany Mandel. She's an interesting woman. She's a homeschool mom of five. <laughs> I, and God bless her. I that is that is a that's a lot. And while our show is not really a show about homeschooling per se, we understand that there are a lot of you who do that or are interested in that. Um, and I I don't see them as competing philosophies. I think they they fall into the same philosophy of whether it's kingdom education, whether it's private school. Or whether you're a concerned parent in public school or you're a homeschooler, the point is we're all engaged parents, invested, invested, invested in paying attention, going to war for our kids, uh, wherever yes. you may be found. So Bethany, uh, she is uh, part of a project, uh, a children's publishing house called Heroes of Liberty, and it's an elementary school level um, uh, kind of coursework on uh, different figures throughout history true uh, american history the way it ought to be taught without a bunch of um, uh, woke garbage yeah <laughs> extra woke. so she will talk a little about that project but she's also uh, got an interesting perspective she's jewish incidentally so uh, of a different faith than ours uh, of no matter but i i actually talked with her about not just her project but sort of her philosophy on homeschooling and why she does it and does she share my point of view that the public school system seems to be uh, in a free fall. So that's coming up. We're also going to get into is critical race theory real? You're hearing people say that's not real. That's not really I'm happening. tired of that. Is you guys are making it up. Right. No. no, 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 no. There's real evidence that it's really happening. And uh, there's a lawsuit about it in Pennsylvania, as a matter of fact. So all of that to come in future episodes here of Making the Leap. Making the Leap is a podcast presentation courtesy of the Herzog Foundation. Please rate and comment on the show as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time on Making the Leap.